Welcome to another Ember Weekend. I'm Chase McCarthy. And I'm Jonathan Jackson. And we're going to talk about tips and tricks today. Recently, we had the pleasure of talking with RWJ Blue for about an hour, and we discussed some tips and tricks that he had to offer for us, um, which were some of them were really, really great. And Chase and I came up with as many as we could. So we tried to compile a list of about 10, and we're just going to go through them as fast as we possibly can. Hopefully, this will be something you can reference really quickly, and, and we'll just, we're just going to dive right in. Uh, the first one is a problem that is, uh, is a mystery to most people when they first see it. If you've ever debugged into a JavaScript, whether that's in, in Chrome or in Node debugger, sometimes you go to reference a variable that wasn't actually referenced in your code, but there uh, you did have the proper scope to see that variable, and for some reason it's not defined. Um, and that's because V8 optimizes out things that uh, functions don't use. So even though you have reference to it in the closure scope, the function scope you're in doesn't seem to get it because V8's optimized it out. This actually happened just the other day. Uh, there was a new Ember developer who came to me with a problem, uh, and I actually didn't figure it out. Um, and then he went to uh, John, and John was able to show him that this was just a V8 optimization issue. So as soon as he inserted a place into that function that used the variable, then when he debugged in that place, uh, the he could now see it. We uh, learned a neat trick from RWJ Blue that you can actually put an eval into that function. And because v, the V8 engine now doesn't know what things you were using out of your closure scope, um, it doesn't do any optimization. So you don't lose any of those uh, you know, things. So you don't lose arguments. You don't lose any of the things, any of the other variables that you didn't use inside of that function, but you had uh, closure scope. Yeah, it's a, mu- it's a much cleaner way than what I've always done in the past, which is basically just reference the variables that you want to use before you drop into a debugger or do a console log. If you, if you don't do that, uh, in, the, in the way I was tipped off uh, with this new, uh, new Ember developer uh, was he had three variables defined and he had a test for one and that one was defined, but the other two weren't. And I realized, you know, as soon as I saw that one was defined and the other ones weren't, I was like, oh, this is probably the V8 optimization thing. Uh, but it's, it's better than having to reference all the, all the variables that you could possibly ever want to use. Just throw an eval in there and then you just have them all. It should be noted that this is one of the reasons why eval is a bad idea. Not only is it unsafe, but it also causes your code to be de-optimized. Absolutely. Yeah. I think this is a neat trick, but it's also potentially dangerous. So, uh, you know, definitely be be careful and make sure that you don't accidentally commit any eval lines in there because not only will it de-optimize, but it's also potentially unsafe and all that sort of reason. But definitely a, a nice thing to have in your tool belt. Yeah. Installing NPM is one of the uh, the banes of most JavaScript developers' existence. Spotty internet connections and... Uh, Network latency can cause some significant problems, and uh, you know it can fail. And you know, I don't know. It's it's nonbomb is is like your go-to thing. Like, oh, I don't know what to do. Nonbomb, and then you you end up waiting for ten minutes while that finishes. Uh, well, Robert was able to tell us that uh, that one of the tricks to installing with npm is to pass the flag dash dash no optional. So, for instance, the Ember.js project when it installs, uh, it installs Phantom. Uh, because that is a dependency of Ember CLI. And Phantom will automatically compile many extensions that Ember CLI does not use. So you're able to pass this dash dash no optional flag, and it will decrease the time it takes to finish the install by up to two minutes on, on, a, on a project the size of Ember. So this is pretty awesome, uh, I think. If, uh, if later you find out that you know when you did dash dash no optional, uh, that you actually do need some of those optional extensions, you can uh, pass. You can run npm install again with dash dash uh, rebuild, and it will go and recompile those extensions. So uh, 
you know, potentially speed up your NPM installs with dash dash no optional. So oftentimes when you're developing in JavaScript, you log things out to the console to, you know, kind of see what that variable has, or you maybe put a debugger right there um, so that you can inspect things. But when you're writing Ember and you're kind of having problems with your templates and you want to see why, what is this thing that I'm getting in my template and why isn't that, why isn't it the thing I think it is? Well, when writing templates, you can also console log by using the log helper. So uh, you just do put in mustaches, log, and then uh, you can put um, a complex object. Um, so if you have like post or if you want to just say this and just see what the context is, uh, you can log out that complex object. Uh, now that you can see in the console though, it'd be nice if you could reference it and you know access variables deeply nested in it. Um, so if you right click on that variable uh, that's been logged and you say set as global, Chrome will set it as a temporary global. Uh, it'll be accessed through something like temp1, temp2, or whatever it'll uh, iterate through and uh, build them. Yeah, this is super useful. I frequently find myself wanting to uh, interact with with things like models to figure out, you know, IDs or see if if, if data is correct. And logging this to f to find the context is sometimes quite helpful uh, when you have a really complicated structure or you're new to a, an Ember project. Uh, just finding out, getting your bearings, and figuring out what objects are are in scope. Very cool. Chrome provides a fuzzy finding capability that is super super valuable. Uh, you're able to uh, very easily press Command P when the console is open, and it will automatically give you a fuzzy finder, and it will search through all of the sources, uh, including snippets. So we're going to talk about snippets in just a second, uh, but uh, using this fuzzy finder can uh, can be really valuable. So you can you can, for instance, in an Ember app, if you want to very quickly find the compiled output from your uh, your Ember CLI app, which is written in yeah, six, you want to see the actual um, transpiled code, you can command P and then type in the name of your app.js in the fuzzy finder, press enter, it'll open up that file, the compiled um, app, and then you can do command F, with, which is just the normal finder, and look for uh, define and then your module name, and it'll, it'll take you right to it. Uh, this is super valuable, uh, and I think that once we start talking about snippets, we'll, we'll see another use for it. So Chrome snippets. Uh, so once again, you can use Command P to search your sources, and inside that sources tab, you're also able to create new snippets. And uh, snippets can be any arbitrary piece of code that you'd like to execute. Uh, the two really great examples that I found for kind of general purpose snippets are things like a snippet that in inserts jQuery uh, for pages that don't have it, or uh, to log all the globals so that you know what globals are available to you at any in any particular time. So the, the way you go about running these is you can go to the sources pane, click snippets, and then uh, click your snippet and uh, right click it and press run. Uh, that's a little clunky. Uh, there's actually a better way to do that. And you can use the fuzzy finder to search sources, which would include your snippets. So for instance, if I want to say log globals, which is the snippet I have named in order to l list all my globals, uh, I can do command P and then type in log globals and then press enter, and that will change the focus from wherever I was at to the snippet code. And then I can press command enter, which will execute that snippet. And then upon execution, it will redirect my focus back to the console. So with this workflow, you're able to quickly s search for uh, a snippet, and it can be, once again, any arbitrary code, and then press command enter to execute it, and then you go right back into the console. Uh, this is really useful, and, and I think that on larger Ember projects, it can be really great to, you know, be able to see the view registry or 
or to look up factories or do some some complicated things for for de- complicated debugging uh, tools or techniques uh, and just have them stored away so you don't have to constantly retype them over and over again. So definitely take a look at snippets. Uh, it's in your sources panel right now. So oftentimes I need to send people screenshots of a you know a region of the page that I have. Maybe I have uh, some weird error happening in Ember, and I'm trying to just kind of send somebody a quick s- screenshot of the of the console showing the error rather than copying and pasting it out. But that requires me to you know take a region screenshot, upload it to something like Imager, and send them a link. Recently started using Skitch, but Skitch kind of has the same problem. Um, I can now annotate, but I still can't. But I still have to upload it to Imager or something to send it to somebody. Um, but we were told about this tool that um, uh, works really well. It's called Monosnap. Uh, and one of the features it has, it will automatically sync to uh, multiple services. So you can set it up with something like Dropbox or uh, Amazon S3 or Evernote. Um, and it will uh, sync the screenshots automatically and give you a link. Uh, it'll copy into your clipboard the link to them. And you can just paste them into wherever and somebody can access it. Yeah, and this this is uh, doubly useful because it's not only screenshots, but it also allows you to uh, take video and, uh, and it will allow you to, what, uh, sync those to YouTube or translate them into a, a GIF or, or any number of, uh, of useful options to make those quickly shareable. So if it's an interaction that you want to explain to somebody, you can actually show the interaction. So uh, definitely take a look at Monosnap. Uh, yeah, and you can also uh, draw uh, arrows and stuff onto uh, Monosnap just like you can with uh, Skitch. Anytime you can optimize Ember testing, I think that's a pretty big win. Uh, so one of the things that uh, that we talked to RWJ Blue about was, uh, you know, his testing setup. So once you go to the testing QUnit page, he just always has hide past the parameter hide past set so that he doesn't get overwhelmed with all the tests. So uh, specifically when you're working on the Ember.js project, if you don't have hide past there, your entire screen is just going to be a bunch of tests. So if you do hide past, uh, you'll only see the ones that you've introduced that fail or the ones that fail because of code that you introduced. Uh, and that's really, really powerful. The other way to run a test in isolation is to simply click the rerun button next to it. But if, uh, if for some reason you don't know exactly where it is or you can't find it or you don't know what model, module it's in, you can, uh, from the command line, you can run ember test dash dash filter and then pass that a string. And it's, uh, it's simple. It's not like globbing or anything like that. I think it's just string comparison. But uh, that will, uh, will find any, uh, any string for the description uh, that matches and execute those tests. So it's it's definitely a very powerful tool for kind of like navigating, especially large code bases. Uh, yeah, and you can also run these with uh, the Ember test server. So in that case, you would do Ember test dash dash server dash dash filter. Oh, that's really cool. I didn't know about that one. So most Ember developers have used Ember Inspector now because it's so awesome. Uh, and one of the great features it has is that uh, you can inspect any element and get a reference to it. Um, there's a little buck E next to them. Uh, and if you click that, it'll copy that into your uh, globals. And now you have a buck E that will reference that thing. So and say you wanted to get a handle to the, the model that your route returns, go into some route, and then you can look at the, the model or whatever, the, whatever property it's returning. Uh, and you click on the buck E, and you can copy that in your console. And uh, now you have a reference to it. Debugging promises is always kind of challenging, uh, especially when things go wrong. Uh, you'll see an error happen in a promise and it kind of feels like it gets swallowed up like uh, like there's no handle for it there's no catch so it just kind of like disappears and it's difficult to debug those uh, because it just kind of magically poofs out of existence and you don't really know what's going on so one of the best ways to kind of address that concern is pretty much anywhere you can execute uh, any anywhere that will be executed on the page you can implement an error hook uh, 
by doing ember.rsvp.onError and then pass it a callback function. And inside that callback function, you can debug or you can console log or you can assert something. Uh, any of these things will, will give you a little bit more insight into what is actually going wrong. Uh, and uh, I tend to put this into like init hooks. So if I, if I think that there's something wrong with per particularly a route like model hook, I'll just implement init there and then I'll just right there, I'll just do ember.rsvp.onError function callback debugger. And that will drop me into a debugger if, uh, if my model is returning an error. Uh, the alternative is, you know, obviously you can do a catch, but uh, this will catch um, any error that occurs on the page load rather than just the errors that you think it might might be. So if it happens in the after model or somewhere else, uh, you can you can still get that error uh, caught. Yeah, and the argument to uh, catch, or in this case, uh, on error, um, is the error that actually happened. So you can actually use um, it, you know error.stack and get a stack trace to the exact pl uh, place that it blew up. Yeah, it's very helpful. And I believe, uh, as of like two days ago, that, uh, that RSVP promises are now allowed to specify labels and, uh, and if you implement an on-error hook for RSVP, uh, the second argument that you receive, is the first will be the error, the second argument you receive will be the label of the promise that threw the error. So it's going to be a lot easier to just, you know, only throw, like, implement an on-error hook and only throw when the label matches something. Or only, only uh, drop you into a debugger when the label matches. Or, uh, or some, some complicated uh, behavior to kind of give you a, a little bit more robust promise handling. Definitely very cool. So we had the opportunity uh, about a week ago to uh, sit with uh, RWJ Blue through a PR that him and John put together, um, and his process for creating a PR was pretty pretty impressive. Uh, he never never left the terminal, uh, so didn't have to go into GitHub and uh, you know submit a submit a PR that way. He just uh, used a hub, uh, which is GitHub's uh, kind of command line tool that adds a bunch of uh, plugins to Git to do things like create repos. Uh, some pull requests. Yeah, and I think uh, I think the hub library that he uses is uh, the one that's installed via Brew Homebrew, right? Which is a Go library, I think. Yeah, I think I think it is, um, but it is actually maintained by GitHub itself, so it's it's going to be relatively stable and it's going to do the do the right things. Yeah, and um, so there's a couple things we took away from this, and we'd like to share those. So the first thing is that uh, he works directly off master. Uh, I believe this is so that he can stay current with the changes that are happening, uh, especially with a library like Ember. Um, commits are going to be merged regularly, and uh, and trying to keep up to date is really important. So his changes were put on master, but the origin remote is set to be read-only. And this is so that he can't accidentally force push. And I'm assuming this uh, this has uh, some some story to it, but um, setting it as a, as a read-only uh, origin and then forcing yourself to do feature branches makes quite a bit of sense to me. Right, and he's doing this by setting it to the HTTPS version of the of the Git URL, not the uh, Git colon slash slash. Right, and then he makes the local changes on master, and uh, and then checks out a branch and commits like normal. And this is where Hub comes in. So he makes changes locally on master, uh, checks out a branch, uh, com and makes a new commit. Uh, if you make one commit, the next step becomes a little easier. Uh, so if you make a single commit uh, change, and then you want to PR just a single commit. If you do hub pull dash request, it will automatically uh, open your editor and put the commits message as the title of the PR and the commits description as the description of the PR. And then uh, you can just write quit. And well, I guess that's a Vim thing. Uh, you can close, save and close your, your editor and it will automatically post that PR to GitHub and then return you the URL. 
and this is really, uh, I, I actually definitely am looking more closely at Hub because of this, because of how quickly it was able to do it. I think pulling PRs together and and doing all this stuff is uh, as efficiently as possible is really important. So once the PR is made, uh, you'll frequently be asked to make changes to it. Uh, and those changes should be made locally in the feature branch that is part of the PR. And then uh, you can force push uh, your rebase changes on top of it so that you can keep the commits nice and simple. I think that's the way that you should interact with Git PRs in general, is just uh, make sure that you rebase and you squash your commits together so that uh, it's really easy for people to understand and try to keep the PRs uh, as small as possible. Obviously, this doesn't really apply when you have, uh, when you want to keep the history of these changes. So if there's multiple changes per a single PR, uh, but at that point, maybe you can make the case for having two PRs. And then the the other thing that uh, that's pretty interesting as far as uh, RWJ Blue's process is that he replies to GitHub messages uh, via email, and he has uh, complicated filters to make sure that you know the the right things get put into the right buckets. But uh, replying to the email seems like it's a lot faster than going to the website and actually finding the issue and and doing all that. Uh, so I definitely took that away as well. So I think that's all of our tips and tricks for this time. In the future, we will likely do this again. So let us know if you have any uh, recommendations or, or any tips that you'd like us to share. Well, thanks for listening. And that's all the tips we have for this Ember Weekend. I'm Chase McCarthy. And I'm Jonathan Jackson. And we'll see you next time.